0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There's a genre of media called Media Watch. It's media, I guess, that watches media. Seems like a pretty good business to be in, I guess. For those of us that consume a lot of media anyway you know basically saying hey my job is actually watch the media that's what most of us spend all of our day doing anyway so why not do that for work and i feel like from time to time it's probably pretty appropriate to kind of do a little bit of a media watch fact check if you will uh, of the other media that's out there in college football seems like it's appropriate thing to do we've done this before you remember remember a year ago When Georgia was preseason number three, we thought unfairly so, or at least the way which was sort of unanimously assumed, oh, there's no way this Georgia team can win the national championship after all they lost on defense. And at one point in the summer last year, we kind of pointed out, okay, here's a specific way in which we believe that Georgia is being treated unfairly as a way of boosting a a team that has a big fan base and perhaps could be a contender. And that team is being treated with kind of kid gloves in a very favorable fashion And Georgia, by comparison, on a very similar issue is being treated much more harshly. You'll remember this. And what, at least if you've been here with us for a while, regular viewer you you may remember this, that we looked at some of the preseason magazine stuff and the kind of prevailing chatter, specific quotes we read on the show a summer ago last year about the idea that Georgia could not win the national championship in 2022 because they lost so much on defense. And it was assumed that offensively, they couldn't correct enough of their issues to, to make up for the fact they were not going to be quite as good defensively and what we said was that take at the time completely ignored the fact that in 2021 two seasons ago Georgia was very good offensively that in any metric you want to use fancy stat analytic type stuff just regular point score type stuff more basic straightforward stats whatever metric you prefer George was essentially a top 5 in most cases at the very least top 10 offense across the board and yet it sort of wasn't treated that way prior to the start of last season and by comparison a team like Ohio State which was ranked ahead of Georgia to begin the 2022 season they were actually bad defensively in 2021 but a lot of the media was assuming that was going to be an automatic easy fix for the buckeyes simply because they hired Jim Knowles as the new coordinator and what we said was hey The media is treating Ohio State like it's fine, it's going to fix all of its issues on defense just because they hired a coordinator. But Georgia, who actually did not have a weakness on the offensive side of the ball, some of those same media types, are kind of treating that as if it's going to be some sort of Achilles heel that prevents Georgia from from actually being back in the national championship conversation. Then when the game was actually played between those two teams on New Year's Eve of last year, we saw Ohio State, the defensive issues that plagued it in 2021. They couldn't stop Georgia. And Georgia, who had had questions asked of it prior to the 2022 season of, could they win the kind of shootout games they might have to win without five first-rounders lost off the 2021 defense? Uh, Well, when Georgia admittedly didn't play the best defensive game of its life against Ohio State, the offense was more than equal to the task to still get Georgia into the winner's circle there that day against the Ohio State Buckeyes, and ultimately that narrative against UGA prior to the 2022 season proved to be untrue. Well, Let's fast forward again now to the start of this season, the 2023 season, and much the same way a year ago, we felt like you could find some obvious, tangible, specific bias against Georgia. We believe the same kind of thing is going on here right now. Now, I want to kind of caveat this a little bit. I don't believe this is either intentional or malicious. I don't really think so. I don't think this is one of those things where there's a meeting somewhere in a boardroom where people are getting together and saying, hey, how can we stick it to Georgia? How can we make it as hard on Georgia as possible? Because we hate Georgia. I don't believe that's the case. But that also doesn't have to happen to have folks kind of working against Georgia. They may be doing it unwittingly, but I believe they're doing it nonetheless. And I do believe a show like this exists to sort of call some of that kind of stuff out. So let me give you an example here of a narrative that it seems like media types are doing a very, very thorough job of trying to push against Georgia right now and I want to show you here for a moment just how true that is now the one knock on Georgia ahead of the upcoming season isn't anything to do with players on the field or transition with a new offensive coordinator or anything like that the one knock against Georgia has been its non-conference schedule and admittedly even Georgia fans themselves are not all that thrilled about Tennessee Martin and Ball State and UAB. And they're also really tired, too, of the same old argument. Well, you know, Georgia was supposed to play Oklahoma and the SEC told them not to do it because Oklahoma's about to join the league and blah, 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 blah. Even Georgia fans themselves have just kind of been resigned to the fact of, hey, it's not nearly as exciting as it would have been last year when Georgia opened against Oregon or the year before that when they opened against Clemson or what they're going to do in future years. This isn't quite as exciting as that. But at the same time, the way in which the media is sort of using that non-conference schedule as a cudgel against Georgia and beating them over the head with it, a lot of Georgia fans are like, hey, at a certain point, enough is enough on that. Let me give you the latest example, but then I also want to contrast this to another team in a similar situation, and ESPN, who, by the way, sort of sets the uh, agenda on all of this, treating that team in a far different manner. And I believe that if you are just open eyes about this and paying close attention, you have to acknowledge, wait a second, two teams, similar situation, and yet the narrative around these two teams is far different. Let me uh, tell you what I'm talking about here. There was a story to ESPN.com looking at the uh, preseason ap top 25 they were looking at all the teams in the ranking and kind of an interesting concept or an idea for an article saying okay what's the best case and worst case scenario for each of those teams so it's probably worth reading if you want to go to espn.com and do it i'll put a link to the story when i post the show later on at the world famous dognation.com. but it's actually not the premise of the article that matters to me here it's what was said about the georgia non-conference schedule in that piece and the idea that what is uh, by appearances, a weak Georgia non-conference schedule could be enough to potentially keep UGA out of the playoff. Let me let you I hear this. I'm going to read it to you. It's from Mark Schlebaugh, ESPN.com. Let me show you this. This is what Schlebaugh, who's you know typically an SEC ally, at least you know throughout the years, this is what Schlebaugh says about the Georgia schedule. Georgia's non-conference schedule is, listen to this phrasing here, especially soft after the sec ordered the bulldogs to cancel a home and home series against oklahoma if georgia finishes unbeaten in the regular season but falls in the sec championship game will it meaning georgia get the benefit of the doubt from the cfp selection committee or will its non-conference schedule keep it out of another playoff so there you have it mark schlabas says if georgia stumbles at any point in time an especially soft non-conference schedule could keep Georgia out of the college football playoff. Now, we know this is college football. It's never good to lose. That's obviously true. Georgia fans don't want to see UGA lose. But nonetheless, keep this, this argument in your mind here. ESPN says, ooh, Georgia, especially soft non-conference schedule. That may be enough to keep it out of the playoff if there's any blemish at any point in time. Now, let's look at another team that the media seems to love here right now. Let's look at another team that's completed that's that's treated completely different by the media while facing a similar issue. You may know the team I'm about to mention. Uh, mention here. It is mighty Michigan, the team that everybody seems to love here right now, despite the fact that Michigan really plays a very similar non-conference schedule to one that Georgia plays. But when Michigan is discussed, I want you to notice something here. The idea of Michigan playing what Mark Schleyball called an especially soft non-conference schedule that's never mentioned about the Wolverines at all in fact no it's a different writer because ESPN does this in kind of blurb form but nonetheless it's an overarching editorial theme here Georgia's non-conference schedule called especially soft I want you to notice how the ESPN writer who wrote about Michigan, how he describes the Wolverines' non-conference schedule. Now, if you're a media watch expert, you may be able to detect some bias, whether explicit or implicit. You might just be able to notice, and you might just be able to detect this if you look closely. Let me show you another piece from that same ESPN story, this time coming from Tom Van Heron writing about the Wolverines. He writes about the Michigan schedule that it's backloaded with the team starting the season against East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers, then facing Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State to finish out the season, Tom Van Herren of ESPN. Now, admittedly, Schleybon and Van Herren are different guys, but it's within the same story at ESPN.com. The Georgia non-conference slate that includes UAB, Ball State, Tennessee, Martin, that's called especially soft the Michigan schedule, which includes, do you mind putting that quote back up there again for me? If you don't mind, just I want to make sure I get these teams right. The Michigan schedule, which includes East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers, that's not especially soft. That schedule is just backloaded, backloaded, better games, better opponents at the end of the schedule. So if you're, if you're a media watch expert, if you're trained in fact-checking, you might be able to detect there a little bit of a bias in terms of how the Michigan schedule is being discussed and how the Georgia schedule is being discussed. And when you realize, oh, such kind, generous language being used of the Wolverine schedule, such harsh, you know, stern language being used about the Georgia schedule. All of a sudden, you see this is a media kind of at work here. This is a media not intentionally trying to to harm Georgia, but desperate for a season that's more interesting than Georgia's made the last couple of seasons look, especially the 2022 season. So hopefully mighty Michigan can, when it gets to these incredibly tough, backloaded games against the likes of Maryland, Penn State. Is Penn State on paper any better than Tennessee, I ask? Uh, that hopefully mighty Michigan can do something to make this season interesting and hopefully Georgia won't just run away and hide with this sport the way that it seemed like it was on the verge of doing there last year it seems fairly obvious the media is trying to cast its narrative and I would say trying a little too hard In order to be able to do that and by the way it's not just the folks at ESPN who have this going on right now go all the way across the dial over to FS1 which by the way the latest uh, data shows FS1 actually in more homes right now for those who still have cable than ESPN is do with that what you will I guess but nonetheless FS1 Joel Klatt their analyst they're trying to build him up as their sort of big guy he was recently on FS1 also talking about Georgia, but not talking about how great UGA is or or you know the idea that Georgia can make history here this season. No, much the same way that ESPN is out there on the look for some reason that Georgia might be excluded from the playoff, some team that might might actually be better than Georgia, even a team like Mighty Michigan, who's got the same apparent non conference issues that are supposed to plague UGA. No, Joel Clapp, much the same way over on FS one, instead of talking about the, the 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 potential greatness of Georgia and the potential historic nature of George's run he's on FS1 saying, is there any team in the SEC that might be able to beat Georgia? Please tell me that somebody in that league can make it interesting here this year. Once again, working very hard to try to establish a narrative of something standing in Georgia's way. Uh, Here's Joel Klatt on the subject of what might be awaiting Georgia at some point during the SEC slate, either during the regular season or the SEC championship. Joel Klatt on the other network, but also
1: hoping that somebody can do something to get into Georgia's way here. You've got to have elite wide receivers in order to beat this Georgia team. You've got to have an elite passing game. I don't know if Alabama's going to have that this year. That's just, it's just a question that you've got to keep in the back of your mind. Tennessee, they have the offense. They throw it well. They were the best offense in college football, but remember how simple it is. Quarterback wide receiver centric. Downfield read routes. They're also replacing their quarterback, best wide receiver. That's difficult to do. If the orange bowl showed us anything it's that they've got some potential joe milton uh squirrel best name in college football they've got some potential on that side do i believe they can beat georgia not really is it going to help that they're in their home stadium yes absolutely now we come to the team that i actually think i'm like this is a team that actually could be georgia that's lsu so joel klatt says hey the SEC's best
0: hope to in georgia's dominance in this league is LSU now? I want you to keep this in mind. A moment ago, we saw some pretty speechless logic on the part of ESPN to say, "Well, the Georgia schedule, especially soft, could be a problem. Could keep them out of the college ball playoff." The Michigan schedule, very similar type of non-conference slate, it's just backloaded, not not especially soft, just backloaded, backloaded. Uh, we're not going to use the Michigan schedule against it. We're going to use the Georgia schedule against it. Totally incongruent ro- logic and reasoning, but we don't have to explain ourselves where the media whatever is true is what we say and so this is what we're going to do so notice the try hard nature of espn to kind of push the schedule thing against georgia and now notice joel Clatt, who by and large i don't necessarily hate i think that Clatt's probably a pretty serious college football type guy seems to spend a lot of time around the sport i don't hate all of his takes but listen how hard he now tries to sort of push the idea that lsu is ready to overtake georgia even though we saw like a few months ago georgia dragging lsu All over the Mercedes-Benz Stadium field once again, much like ESPN got caught trying hard in pushing the schedule narrative against UGA. Listen to how hard Joel Clatt tries to make the case for LSU in year two of Brian Kelly overtaking Georgia, and see if you spot the once again sort of logical leaps that that Clatt tries to make in order to make this true. Here's Joel Clatt once again on
1: FS1. LSU has depth. They've they've now gone through a season and transitioned to Brian Kelly. They were number two in the transfer portal, mostly on the defensive side. They've got their quarterback back who's played a lot of football. They've got wide receivers on the outside. Remember, they threw it for, geez, 500 yards in that SEC championship game. And I I get it, like, I get it. Georgia was up handily and LSU was just pitching it around the lot, but they've got experience at quarterback. They've got experience at wide receiver. Their defense should be better. Brian Kelly is a very good football coach. That's a team I would be leery of. I think LSU's got some serious potential. So
0: for what it's worth, in full disclosure, I have selected LSU myself to make the college football playoffs. So I obviously like LSU here this year. But once again, the kind of logical leaps it takes by Klatt to say LSU is now better than, than Georgia, you're left to wonder, does Joel Klatt realize that the quarterback who had success in the second half against Georgia last year, Grant Nussmeyer, is not the one that's expected to start for LSU this year, Jaden Daniels? It's not obvious from that clip that Klatt knows that. Nor is it obvious that Klatt knows that Jaden Daniels, the guy that he celebrates, got picked up in the air by a Georgia player last year and carried around the field like a trophy. It's not obvious that Klatt knows that either. If he does, he didn't make it clear. And the other thing that I think is pretty wild about all of this is, in a game last year that Georgia dominated, ultimately won by three touchdowns, 50 to 30, Georgia blowing out LSU apparently isn't proof of anything in Joel Klatt's mind. But LSU having some success in garbage time in a meaningless second half when George was likely already thinking about the college football playoff and certainly had zero chance of losing at any point or really even being in a closer game at any point against the Tigers, somehow that's proof of LSU's ascendancy, and yet Georgia's blowout win that put the game in garbage time, at least according to Joel Klatt, is not proof of anything. Now, as we've said before, we don't have thin skin. If Klatt likes LSU, then make the case for it. But that's a pretty... That's a pretty odd logical leap, and the fact that it comes in a similar time in which ESPN, which is probably the worst offender in all this, is looking at the non-conference schedule for Georgia and saying, oh, that's the kind of blemish that ought to be held against it all year long. Michigan's weak early non-conference schedule, no big deal. Their schedule just backloaded, just backloaded uh it, it's it, it's not a situation where it's a it, especially soft non-conference schedule it's just backloaded because Michigan's the team that the media wants to promote right now and Georgia because of its dominance is the team that the media wants to be skeptical of because it's just simply more interesting to be skeptical of a team like Georgia because of how dominant Georgia has been and if you're a Georgia fan you don't have to apologize for noticing this you don't you don't you don't have to apologize for saying OK, well, if you look at this and you compare it to that or you listen to this and you compare it to that, all of a sudden, a lot of this just seems like the media trying very, very hard. And so when that happens, we're just going to notice it and we're going to call it out. We're going to remember it. We're going to chronicle it all. We're going to catalog it all. And at the end of this season, we're going to bring back the receipts. And we'll see who's right. National media types pushing against UGA or Georgia fans who believe the dogs are going to go for three and twenty three. We think we know what that answer is going to be. My name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. Glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us live, a video across all platforms there, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, podcast, all of the platforms there too. Bunch of ways to connect. We're just glad you picked one of them. Glad to have you a part of what we are doing today. Also, big thanks to our friends, At Merriweather and Tharp for making today's show possible there as well. Your source for Georgia divorce, no doubt. The folks over at Merriweather and Tharp, getting ready for the upcoming season, getting excited about all of that. Uh, We see Bob Tharp, the great partner there from Meriwether and Tharp, and his terrific family at Georgia Games all the time, and they're enjoying themselves, having a good time on the weekend. But during the week, they're working hard for you. During the week, they're rolling up their sleeves, they're helping you confront and deal with one of the most challenging situations you might face. That is the divorce process. And listen. I think a lot of times you look at a situation here because of whatever station of life you're kind of moving into next. Maybe kids are moving out of the house or or whatever, whatever might be going on there. And you're just like, I think it might be time to sort of explore, do something different, think about that. And if that's your reality, if that's your situation, if that's just the appropriate next step for you. And listen, you are the one that knows your appropriate next steps here when you kind of survey the situation and see what's going on. If that's where you find yourself, then I can tell you that as you maybe have questions and some curiosity about this, Meriwether and Tharp is really good at answering those questions and I think they're also really good at giving you additional questions to ask because let's face you know we have our limited knowledge about any number of subjects but when you actually kind of get deeply entrenched into a topic people who spend their life there they have far more just information available and that information brings up other things and sometimes you know what you know but you maybe don't know what you don't know and our friends at Meriwether and Tharp are really good at sort of saying OK, here's an answer to the things you think, you know, but let me also introduce this category of kind of the things that you don't know and what you might not consider as it relates to all that kind of stuff there, too. So if you're curious about this, if you think it might even be uh, you a know, possibility, sometimes having a conversation, that free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys is just sort of a clarifying process. And you can kind of decide, okay, what's right for me, what makes sense for me. So find them online. please. TheAtlantaDivorceTeam.com. the Atlanta Divorce Team.com. That's the Meriwether Team.com. Merryweather and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. Now, before we're done on today's show, I have a fun announcement I want to make. I'm not going to do it now because I'm running a little bit late. But before we're done on today's show, I have a really fun announcement I want to make about something coming up with Dog Nation that I'm really excited about. So we'll tell you about that here coming up in a little bit. And by the way, this is going to set off for us what I believe is going to be a series of announcements. We got a Big one coming up uh, to tell you about here in the next few days. I'm not quite so sure when I have green light on that. I'm not quite so sure. I'm not even supposed to say anything about it right now, uh, so we'll wait on that. But I do have a pretty cool announcement to make for you here today, and so we'll do that here coming up in just a little bit. Now, prior to that, it's Terrence Edwards in a moment. We always love talking ball with Terrence Edwards. We'll get a chance to do that here today. Uh, that's a fun thing. And then before that, let's go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at Serve Pro and. I really enjoyed the conversation the other day and you can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and see this with Georgia wide receiver Marcus Rosemey-Jackson. Now let me say this first I don't have this audio to play for you or uh, if you want to see you can go watch the full video yourself there at the Dog Nation YouTube page. One of the subjects that Roseme jackson addressed when he met with the media the other day are some of the speeding issues that he himself has had as a part of a larger narrative involving the Georgia team and I thought that Roseme jackson did a really good job of just Kind of owning that and i think it sort of pushes back against what some people sometimes think is uh the the i guess the prevailing viewpoint that you know young football players they want to get away with whatever they can get away with and they you know don't want to be held accountable whatever else uh, you know you may hear that knee-jerk reaction take from time to time i think what you heard from Roseme jack saint the other day and it's at the dog nation youtube page you can see this you can hear this for yourself was a young man who was more than happy to kind of take that accountability more than happy to kind of own his role in what has been a bigger story involving Georgia and obviously a serious story going back to what happened last January and you know clearly you know we all have an obligation. those of us who are on the road we have an obligation to take care of ourselves take care of the people in our vehicle and take care of the people around us and I would say that Rosemead Jackson probably stopped short of that obligation here and yet at the same time uh i think he's owning that i think he owned up to it and it was kind of nice to see him really sort of speak so clearly about all of that so if that's a story that's still on your mind what marcus Jack Saint had to say this week is probably pretty valuable but as far as the typical content on a show like ours what's going on with the football team i thought Jack jackson had some good stuff there on that specifically this and this is the topic that matters here right now the fact that on paper i believe to begin a season georgia i don't believe has ever looked to be deeper at the wide receiver position than it appears to be right now. Now, have they had years in which there was a single wide receiver, perhaps better? Obviously, when George Pickens was here, that was perhaps true. Certainly when A.J. Green, and you want to go back throughout the years, there have been individual receivers that perhaps stand above what maybe Georgia currently has. When we look at the overall strength of the group, this is about as deep as it's been here at UGA. And Marcus Rosemey-Jackson, whose decision to return to Georgia this year, when he perhaps had options to do otherwise – his decision to return to Georgia contributes to that depth and he talked this week about you know what it's kind of like to have so much strength in the wide receiver room and how that that strength and that depth can help Georgia here this season uh this is what uh, Marcus Roseme Jack Saint had to say about that
2: I feel like this receiver room now is like every position every depth um one's twos, threes no matter who is and I feel like whoever goes out there whoever's in the game they they have, we have the full ability, we have the full trust in them going there to, to play full speed, play at a high level and execute at the, at the level that we need them to execute at. So, um, I feel like this year is, we have a lot more moving pieces in the um, receiver room and that's going, that's going to be a benefit towards us, um, this year. So I've always, i always, it's always a great thing to me.
0: This is an incredibly relevant topic because of what we've also said about the Georgia offense here right now, which is in much the same way the wide receiver situation looks to have a lot of emphatic answers. On the flip side of that, the Georgia running game right now appears to be very much a work in progress. So leaning on the wide receiver strength is clearly going to be important for Georgia. That includes veterans like McConkie and Rosemary Jackson, transfer players like Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas. And while I want to make it very clear here, I don't believe that wide receiver play is a replacement or a substitute for a strong running game. I certainly think he can help with it. You look at the very best passing offenses in recent SEC history. They've also included really dominant performances from running backs. Clyde edwards helaire for LSU in 2019. Uh, uh, you look at what Najee Harris was able to do for Alabama in 2020. That, that these teams that have found a way to have success through the air have opened up opportunities for the running game. When Trevor Lawrence came to Clemson as a freshman in 2018, then throughout his career there, you saw – you know the clemson running game also kind of be picked up a step there as well that defense's concern over how you deal with an effective passing attack just opened up more opportunities for the running game we've seen that the oklahoma teams of lincoln riley also were very successful on the ground in part because of how good they were through the air and while the georgia passing attack the wide receivers in particular they're not a substitute for a good and effective rushing game you still got to be able to run the ball good wide receiver play may make it a little easier to run the ball, at least before the season is done. So Georgia may be getting good and deep and strong at the wide receiver position at exactly the right time because they may need to lean on that some as a way of kind of getting the ground game going here a little bit. And then another another point that Rosemary Jack St. makes is that You know, right now, when you think about wide receivers, you think about the traditional guys who sort of have the wide receiver position label. But at a place like Georgia right now, another guy you have to include in that group is Brock Bowers. Bowers, after all, is on the watch list, which is not an official designation, but it's nonetheless kind of a cool nod in his direction for the Blitnikoff Award. Bowers a tight end is being looked at as possibly the best wide receiver in the country here this year. ESPN recently ranked him as the number two overall player in the sport, ahead of a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., which is widely thought to be the best wide receiver in the entire country. That's how good Bowers is. When you think about Georgia pass catchers, you include him along with the wide receivers. And Rosemead Jackson talked this week about the opportunity and how much he enjoys playing alongside bowers and he even apparently has a pretty cool nickname for brock too this is rosemary jack saint on bowers
2: his work ethic like he comes in this building every single day probably maybe the first guy in here breakfast workout in the morning it's like he is a work machine and i feel like that's what separated him from everybody else in the nation especially in the tight end room like all the tight ends in the room because like he done stacked his days up to get 1% better and better. Like, putting work in by himself. Does that make sense? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like, yeah, basically putting work in by himself. He's just a work machine. He's humble your work machine, and he just do everything right. I call him Captain America. Too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a work machine, he says. I call him Captain America. That's really funny stuff from Marcus Rosemey-Jackson, talking about the role that Brock Bowers plays as a part of this Georgia offense. I'm going to be clear here. I think there's a lot of unresolved issues for Georgia right now. Maybe first and foremost on that list, who the starting quarterback is going to be. Carson Beck's been thought to be the leader. I tell you, I continue to hear very good things about Brock Vandegrift. It sounds like Vandegrift's having a very good summer. It really does. And it sounds like Vandegrift you know, is keeping pace in this competition here right now based on some of the things that I've been told by people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. It seems like Vandergriff's having a very good summer. So maybe we are unresolved as who the Georgia starting quarterback is going to be. But the one thing we ought to have some resolution for, and I believe we do, is the fact that whoever emerges there, Beck for the full season, potentially Vandergriff eventually, whoever it might be, that that quarterback is going to have a lot of offensive weapons at his disposal. And a Georgia offense that's been a big part of two national championship teams offensively they may have the strength and the and the talent to keep pace with that here in 2023 there as well and that is around the doghouse and it's presented today by our friends at serve Pro now listen if you own real estate property of any kind the home that you live in rental property that maybe is an income producer for you your commercial property where your business is housed anything like that can be threatened by damage caused by fire water intrusion those types of things can leave an unbelievable mass to clean up you know that maybe you've dealt with that in your basement before or something along those lines well when you see that big mass it's obviously one of those deals where like how do you wave a magic wand just to make all this disappear how do you make it just all go away well i can't do that it may seem like that's an impossibility for anybody to do but that's because maybe as of yet you're not fully acquainted with the restoration specialist from ServePro, because that's what they do and situations just like yours, they take care of the cleanup, they take care of the mess, and they get it put back together like it never even happened. That's what Serve Pro is all about. Each franchise also independently owned and operated there as well. So please find them online at ServePro.com. The word Serve is spelled S-E-R-V. ServePro.com is S-E-R-V. ServePro.com. Please uh, find them there online. And figure out how the restoration specialist of ServePro can really take good care of you in a time of need. You got fire damage, you got water damage, you got some sort of awful mess to clean up. Those ServePro restoration specialists can get it back for you like it never even happened. So find them online today, ServePro.com, S E R V for ServePro.com. All right. We want to keep the conversation going about Georgia football. A lot happening with this team here right now. Doing battle with the media over the narrative of who should be uh, this year's national champion. Doing competitive battle at practice. Maybe that's more important uh, in the eyes of a lot of these uh, Georgia coaches and players. Let's cover all that right now with Terrence Edwards today here on Dog Nation Daily. Presented by Meriwether and Thar. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. Great to have Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Thought. one of my favorite times of the week. Just getting ready for a, uh, a fun season here upcoming. And, you know, Terrence, I want to talk to you a lot about what's happening for Georgia here right now. But, boy, hard not to notice. It just seems like, in some respects, the media is just looking for anything they can to try to take Georgia down a peg. And I get it; I talk for a living. Everybody wants the most interesting topics, the most interesting chatter. You've obviously been around the media for a long time, Terrence. You kind of understand all that too, I I presume. But man, when they try to make such a big deal about the Georgia non-conference schedule. Terrence Georgia just won the national championship game sixty five to seven. I've said this before. Part of the reason why it seems like Georgia plays an easy schedule is because when you win the national championship game sixty five to seven, they're all easy games at that point in time. And so you know the idea that somehow you know Georgia should be on guard for missing the college football playoff because of its non conference schedule, when a team like Michigan is not treated the same way for a very similar non conference schedule, it's hard not to see the gears turning, and it's hard not to see the uh, intentional attempt to form a narrative there around UGA. And Terrence, I'll be honest with you, I don't fault dog fans for kind of pushing back against that.
3: Oh, I don't either. Uh, We all understand what happened when I was scheduled this year. We know that we're, you know, was going to play Oklahoma uh, this year and and the SEC uh, told us we couldn't. So we had to find a game and we all know how uh, these schedules are made. These schedules are two, three, four years in advance. And it's hard to go and try to find a a quality opponent. So um, we understand. And I also think that with the scheduling, with the team that we do have, um, I don't know if the the media is ready for the Georgia Bulldogs to be back-to-back-to-back national champs. I think they would be okay with Nick Saban doing it. I I don't think they're ready to go ahead and push Kirby as the best football coach. For some reason – I don't know why the Georgia Bulldogs, the the team that they don't want to be the king of the hill, I don't know if that's because that probably would knock Nick Saban down just a little bit. I mean, he's still a great coach. He still has, what, seven national championships, but uh, no one has three-peated since, like, like, 1932. So if the Georgia Bulldogs do it, that'll put us in a rare air that I don't think the media wants for whatever reason.
0: I think you're bringing up such a good point, and I truly don't believe there's some sort of like, sort of established agenda against Georgia. I I honestly don't think the media hates Georgia. I really don't. I think what you're saying is more true, which is that Georgia, in some respects, represents change, and really nobody likes change, right? I mean, everybody has a hard time getting used to change. And if Nick Saban were having won the last two national championships, and if he was on the verge of now winning another one that's a f- source of comfort because it's sort of the same thing we've been used to. Um, but in the case of Georgia, Georgia potentially taking over the sport and kind of replacing what Nick Saban, Alabama was. Some of that, I think, for some of the national media types, just sort of seems like too much too soon, and it's a little bit of change to get used to, and the idea that something could slow that down just seems like it's maybe comforting or, or, or whatever to, to to some of the folks that are out there. I, I think that, that what you're saying to me, kind of instinctively feels true that if it was Nick Saban Alabama who is still collecting all this success as opposed to Georgia a lot of these same media types might just be a little bit more okay with that and maybe more willing to acknowledge what I believe is just flatly true that Georgia could be on the verge of the greatest run in college football history it seems like it's a little harder to give Georgia the full credit for that whereas if it's more of the same Nick Saban Alabama perhaps that would just be easier to do
3: oh I agree I totally agree and that's exactly what I, I'm saying, and what I, I meant is, you know, I think it's okay to give Nick Saban, who I think is the greatest college football coach ever, him and Bad Bryant, uh, is just doing. Now, Kirby uh, is coming along and, and, and trying to take that mental away from Nick Saban. And if, and if he's able to three feet, then he's in the conversation. It's still not seven. But if even if Georgia never wins another national championship and they 3 it, we would talk about this this five to six years as Kirby's been one of the best ever to do it. And I don't think they're ready to hand that mantle off to to Kirby just yet. I mean, just having a conversation with my my people that that I have arguments with, and like Kirby's not slowing down, and this is a great opportunity. The week schedule. And we have a great opportunity with the week schedule. We all admit that the schedule is not the best, but that's just who you play. You play the people on your opponent, on your schedule and let the chips fall where they make. And if we're one of the four best teams, we're going to make it into the playoffs. And if we're not, uh, we won't win it when we get to the playoffs. So I just don't understand it. Uh, I, I can't wait to we 3 So it's something that has never been done since 1932 and not in the modern day and that's something Georgia will have over Nick Saban
0: so let me ask you this going back years ago you told us one time and I think it's really interesting in your senior year you guys opened the season with Clemson and you said hey that provided a very different level of focus for the fall camp the preseason process knowing you got a rivalry game and back in 2002 Georgia Clemson would have still been a very big rivalry to many people you got a rivalry game. you got a power five, non-conference opponent, a game which you have a chance to prove yourself. You said that provided a level of focus for you and your teammates going into that year. Georgia doesn't have that this year. They would have had Oklahoma. Now they don't. It's not the same kind of non-conference late that you yourself said your team benefited from when you were a senior. So let's turn the tables here a little bit. Does the absence of a big non-conference game, even though Kirby Smart's going to say it doesn't, but privately behind the scenes, do you think this has a negative impact on any of Georgia's preseason preparations at all?
3: Not not once a little bit. And everyone can come to the podium and say they're not talking about the three feet, they're not worried about it, but that's the level of focus that they could do something special. So even though they don't have that marquee game, they have a marquee season. That if they go and and, and do everything that they're supposed to do and attack the day and win the day, all the things that – Service Smart Brain, they could do something that no other college football player since 1932 can say they have done. There's been so many great teams and so many great players to come through college football, but none of them can say they're three-peated. So there's the level of focus right now that we're not worried about the three-peat, but we could do something special that no other college football player in how many years have done. So even though they don't have that marquee game, they have a marquee season that they could do something special that a lot of college football players would never have the opportunity to do.
0: I want to get a couple thoughts from you on what's going on with Georgia fall camp right now, and I kind of briefly mentioned this to our audience here a moment ago. I haven't heard or seen anything to lead me to believe that Carson Beck isn't the leader to be the Georgia starting quarterback, but I tell you, Terrence, there's some chatter here, and it's you know the sort of somebody-who-knows-somebody-who-knows-somebody-who-knows-somebody somebody 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 type stuff. It does sound like Brock Vandergriff's having a good camp, and I'm always a little, I guess— you know, skeptical of, you know, how much do you believe and 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 what do you really kind of put a lot of stock in? But there are enough serious people kind of behind the scenes who are saying some of this kind of stuff. It does sound like Vandegrift is having a, a pretty good camp here. And, you know, the idea of this being a real competition, it sounds like it might be still a competition that's won by Beck and all likelihood that may be the eventual conclusion here. But there is some positive chatter coming out about Vandegrift that I think is sort of hard for me not to notice um, does that kind of match what you're hearing here at the moment?
3: I honestly haven't heard too much. I haven't spoke to anyone, but B, I think this is the part that uh, you're missing a little bit, and the chatter could be be what it is. But the the point of Griff having a great campus, the Georgia coaches feel comfortable if yeah. anything else happens. So we love that he he's doing great. That also gives that whole team. The coaching staff, the player sees it. The player understands what's going on in that position. And I, and I think, just like everyone else thinks, that Brock would be the first quarterback out. I'm um, sorry, Carson Beck would be the first quarterback out in that first game. But if anything happened, the backup quarterback is one play away from being the starter. And the, Brock, what is Brock is doing right now, he's getting that whole team. The coaching staff is self-confident. If something happens, then we are we are good because we've seen it in practice, we've seen it in scrimmages, we've seen it in the film room. We see it as a leader that we'll be okay if, if if Brock Vandegrift has to take over at some point.
0: And listen in the SEC, we know how important the backup quarterback has been. I mean, there's no better example than the fact that Stetson Bennett was a backup quarterback who became a two time national champion. But even beyond that, you know, Bryce Young missed time a year ago, uh I mean, just go through all of this and you see – I mean, one of the things that makes I think LSU really tough right now is Grant Nussmeyer. Is the Tigers' perceived backup quarterback? That's a guy who really does legitimately throw it, you know, very well. Probably better than anything Alabama currently has. That that backup quarterbacks in this league they do matter because of how physical this league is. So I don't take it as a controversial, you know, oh, you know, this is a problem because you know you got a competition that no one's won yet. I take it as a good thing because I want Carson. I'm a Georgia fan, Terrence. You know that I want Carson Beck right. to be good. I want Brock Vandegrift to be good too. So if they're both good, then that's I think doubly good for me. I guess.
3: Oh, most definitely. And it, just like all of us, it, um, every player on that team is one play away from being a starter, from, from getting a significant amount of playing time. And when you when, when you are very uh, okay, you you are happy, you are happy with the backup situation, uh, then your game plan doesn't change. And, I mean, just take Alabama last year. Jalen Miro is definitely a very different quarterback than Bryce Young. Very different. And I don't think – they're very settled on their quarterback position right now. I think we're definitely in a better spot than Alabama for us, the, the starters and the backup. So if anything ever happens to whoever the starter would be, that we're very comfortable with the backup. And you've got to be, you you have to have a quarterback. And I don't care how much talent you have, you have to have a quarterback to win games.
0: Seeing some really nice images coming out of Georgia practice on the screen right now for those watching on video, of course. But uh terrence let me finish with this i guess if you don't mind H- have you talked to your brother what does he think about the running back situation here right now obviously a lot of people know your brother robert edwards one of the great running backs that's played football at georgia now a terrific high school coach back in his alma mater washington county but what uh does if anything does your brother robert think about the current situation for georgia when it comes to its running backs and i guess you yourself your own opinion on that there as well if you don't mind
3: yeah i haven't spoken to him about that talked to him this morning i've definitely get his uh opinion on the the running back situation uh because you asked and i'll probably have an update next week if uh i remember but my
0: own my <laughs> opinion I, listen I, I listen at this, you know, this day and age Terrence, we all got to worry about what we can try to remember right, right. from one week to the
3: next right. who knows what we can remember right.
0: i'm sorry right. go I ahead remember it. yeah uh, yeah well, go ahead
3: asking. but but my my like we spoke last week I, I think kendall uh will be the guy if he's healthy and that's a big if uh, History tells us that he hasn't been able to be healthy. Day John is, is a do it all. He's studied. He, he's a guy that can go in, and, and I don't necessarily consider him 1A, but he's 1B. I don't know if he's that lead dog, but he. And then the, the young freshman, uh, he, he's big. I've heard some things about him. Uh, almost 240 pounds. Probably not the quickest, but he, he's a, a guy that can lean on people. He's probably not going to be a guy that can take it 80. He's going to get us eight, ten, nine, grind it out at a time, and we need that at times, um, especially to to seal games with their running game. So I just don't know right now if we just have that dominant guy that you, you're going to teams are going to be afraid of. Um, I like I said last week, Andrew Paul is the guy that I'm interested to see. I know he's coming off the ACL injury, um, and I just don't know about Branson Ross and how long his injury So, we have the talent in the backfield. Right now, that just hurts. And uh, the best availability is available. So, we don't have them available right now. And, and our new starting quarterback, we do need a running game. Um, I know Bobo uh, has a great screen package. A lot of people don't know a lot of the screens that we did run last year kind of came from Mike Bobo uh, yeah. with, with Coach Munchen. Um So that is an extension of the running game. But we do need to run the football to be able to neutralize defenses. We just can't sit back and have too high shell on defense and not commit to the run. We're going to have to be able to get that extra guy in the box to, to help all receivers too, to gain one-on-one coverage. So the running game is going to help. And we do have, a, I think, this O-line is probably one of the best overall that we've seen. So uh, one of the running backs is going to have to step up. I'm not worried about Dajon Edwards. We know what he's going to do now. It's just the other guys that we haven't seen uh, produce. Uh, we know the talent, but we haven't seen them carry the ball for a significant amount of period on Saturdays.
0: So, Terrence, I'll say this to conclude, hearing a lot of good things about this Milton team right now, it sounds like you're going to be a beast in 7A. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, well, I think we we have it. We have the talent. But we, we all know that a little luck has to go from injuries. Uh, we, we we have a tough opponent tonight in Collins Hill. So this is kind of a, a, a benchmark and see where we at as a team. Probably had one of our best practices yesterday. So I'm excited to see how the guys go out and play tonight. Uh, we have a chance. We, we if if things kind of go our way, uh, the injury bug doesn't hit us. We will have opportunity to play late in December. Uh, but it starts tonight. Uh, we got to be one and zero each week. And uh, like I text you last night, B. A. You said I know everybody. You do. You know, know him all. You got my text last night. When you got my text last night about uh, the young man. I've seen him for several years. Him and my son runs on the same track club. So. That wasn't surprising to see him uh, play his very first part of the game. So uh, check us out tonight. Milton, Eagles, Collins Hill at 730.
0: So I want people to notice. Now, normally Terrence and I talking football, just two guys talking, kind of casual, kind of relaxed. You ask Terrence about the team that he coaches for, and all of a sudden he slips into that coach speak. Well, Got to be 1-0 each week. Hey, you know, nothing, you know. It doesn't take much to get the coach kind of coach speaking once you start talking about the team you coach for, Terrence.
3: Right, you know, it's it's that that coaches' mentality come out, but it's just not sitting here talking. You know, we got to go out, win one game. I like it. That 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 coaching part come out when I'm talking about my own team.
0: Hey, best of luck to y'all, Terrence. We'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Okay. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yes, so what uh, Terrence is referencing there? A, he's a terrific coach, a part of that wonderful Milton program. and, y'all, I'm telling you right now, and we're not going to this, turn this into a high school football show, but the 7A classification in Georgia is so deep right now. And I wasn't just, you know, you know, pulling Terrence's leg. I, I, I really, truly, I mean, Milton is going to be very good this year. You put them with Carrollton, who was a finalist a year ago, obviously Julian Lewis. What Buford has a chance to do, a top 10 nationally ranked team here right now. You know, Mill Creek's the defending champion. You think about Walton, we're going to see them against Grayson, another team. That would have state championship aspirations we'll see them on saturday night for mercedes-benz stadium and obviously i'm you know i think the parkview team that i saw uh you know last night's gonna be a part of that conversation there too and there are obviously others down in south georgia the cockwits you know the you know the folks from region one of course but the point here is is that this classification this top classification in georgia is so deep right now here at the moment and obviously terrence's team there at milton is a big part of that and terrence was also tuned in last night for us on a peachtree tv and he was talking about you know terrific freshman running back on the Kel side uh and I seen him as a track star and kind of known him and uh we were kind of joking in the broadcast last night that terrence really does i mean he's had when you've been involved as involved in the sport as he's been for as long as he's been you do develop great relationships and obviously football we reason why we love it's because the relationships it forms for those of us whether it be fan to fan or coach to player player to player coach to coach it's just a, it's just a really great vehicle to form great lifelong relationships and obviously terrence has got a lot of those now speaking of tv i want to talk to you more about that in a moment but first let me remind folks we are cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and by the way speaking of cruising you can be cruising with royal caribbean yourself had a guy come up to me last night and said b a there's still any room left on that dog nation cruise And I said, yes, there is, but space is limited. That's not a joke. That is true. Space is limited because the ship is going to sell out. So we're going to make sure we hold off on our uh, staterooms and get a few sort of reserved and and kept for you. It's going to be bigger than it's ever been before, Uh, but space is limited and it's filling up fast. So please go to the website, royaldogs.com, Jessica Slater, travel agent, put that together for you. This year, as I said before, we're bigger and better because we're on an Oasis class ship. Right now, one of the largest ships at sea, Allure of the Seas. It's April 22nd through the 26th, going Port Canaveral, NASA on the Bahamas, perfect day, Coco okay This is one of those things I feel very confident about because you talk to the people who have been. We had hundreds that went with this last year. You talk to those folks, I think they'll tell you to a person, it was an unbelievably good time. And the people on board's what makes it so. Y'all, I mean, listen uh we have just such a great collection of folks out there that kind of make up dog nation not just our website community but also just the fan base in general and when they come together in a cruise experience like this you better believe everybody on the ship knows we're there first of all and everybody is having an incredibly good time so i hope you'll be there with us next april on board allure of the seas a wonderful ship wonderful opportunities nasa on the bahamas perfect day coco K, and then so much more so last night on Peachtree tv had a chance to broadcast the five-star wide receiver commit to tennessee mike matthews and i'm going to tell you right now this is another one of those examples of a guy you just man you hate to see a guy like this get away uh, and obviously you know tennessee did a great job in that recruitment and it's just one of those things where matthews i think kind of has everything that you like here and sometimes you just sort of have to acknowledge that the ball stepped up and won a pretty big one here matthews is a guy that plays on both sides of the ball very selfless player very very willing blocker you know the types of things that you think that you want a receiver to be able to do at Georgia Matthews more than happy not the biggest guy in the world but more than happy to kind of put his body on the line out there anybody who plays with him says he's a great teammate supportive of his teammates our buddy Rusty Manziel tell you a story about you know when Rusty went out to visit uh, Matthews at Parkview a year ago this isn't kind of the moment which as a junior at the time Matthews is kind of growing into his role as what would be uh you know five-star receiver but matthews is kind of pointing out his teammates freshman hey you gotta, you got to know about this guy got to know about that guy and i saw him on tv last night and you're just kind of reminded of that that you'd love to see georgia kind of conquer that final frontier and the guys that georgia is getting its receivers they're working out just fine everything's every, everything's just fine for georgia of course but nonetheless when you see unconquered territory unconquered land there's a part of you that just kind of wants to go out there and conquer that there as well and for georgia that's the receiver position especially in-state, you know, for a guy like Matthews, a part of a county that's not been super kind to Georgia. So when you think about, you know, what Georgia hasn't gotten from Buford or maybe didn't get a year ago from Mill Creek when it comes to Caleb Downs, I think Mike Matthews from Parkview admittedly has to be kind of on that list. Very good receiver. Not one thing not to like about him, to use a double negative. Uh, a guy you'd have loved to see the dogs get, but Tennessee came in state and get themselves a pretty good win there on that. I thought that Lane Kiffin. The old Miss coach recently had some pretty strange comments. And I'll be honest with you. I think if I'm an old Miss fan, I have a hard time kind of knowing what to make of Kiffin as the leader of my organization right now. He just sort of cast a really weird vibe. You know, at the end of last year, obviously flirting with the Auburn job. The moment that job came open, you saw Ole Miss's level of play go down into the you know the depths, just you know, clearly not fully focused at the end of last year you know thought he might be taking the Auburn job then he didn't and then he tried to sort of reingratiate himself to the Ole Miss community just really really strange and some more comments from Kiffin who's always kind of touching on sort of the hot button issues of the day and kind of coming across in kind of a just sort of a dour mood about the sport that he's a part of here right now let me read you this quote he says it's not like i'm the president giving the state of union about nil and portal problems he's i do that because you guys tell me afterwards when i do those interviews how appreciative you are or i see fans or players parents of, and recruits they're like wow thank you we didn't really know that was happening because no other coach talks like this and one of the other things that he said is um he says you know basically saying that, that that it's kind of the passion the 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 excitement he says the joy for him in coaching college football is not the same as it was and if i'm an old miss fan and i hear a guy like kiffin who's supposed to be my coach saying he's lost his joy for coaching i'm left to wonder well what are you doing here on my job what are you here leading my favorite team for and if i'm a booster you better believe i feel that way because maybe i'm helping fund all of this but even the average fan are like hey i want to enjoy Ole miss football i want to believe my team has a chance to win and all i hear you constantly doing is talking about you know how disappointed you are with the current state of the sport and that's not for me to say that i don't have some issues there as well but listen if you want to be a leader of men at a certain point in time you have to play the ball as it lies you have to you have to kind of make peace with the current situation and try to decide how can i be successful within these current parameters and i don't hear lane kiffin doing that at all frankly he comes across like a guy which very much what lane kiffin is someone born with a silver spoon in his mouth who sort of expects everything to kind of be given to him because his career was maybe kind of given to him because of the family ties that he had that got him into coaching to begin with even after a few failed attempts early on seemed to still be fine and always landed a cozy job he kind of speaks as someone who would have that in his background and coincidentally uh, that is what Kevin's background is so i just don't quite know what you do with all of that and the other thing that i think kind of drives you a little bit crazy here is and you know Kiffin sort of says the quiet part out loud Kiffin and the media has always been this symbiotic relationship, right? The media feeds off Kiffin because he is interesting, social media stuff, uh, willingness to do interviews. I don't believe he's ever turned down an interview, and he always says pretty, you know, uh, you know, quote-worthy things in those interviews. And Kiffin clearly benefits from the media because they've kind of elevated him to the status of one of the sports leaders, despite the fact that his resume could be printed on the back of a penny. Uh, he has almost zero accomplishment and yet he's treated as one of the one of the, the leaders of the sport, one of the most important spokesmen in the sport. And so Kiffin says, the reason why he's always speaking about how bad NIL is, or how bad the portal issues are, and all the, the instability that that creates for college football, the quote that I read to you a moment ago, he says, the reason why I keep doing that is because you guys tell me afterwards, when I do that, how appreciative you are. In other words, I exist to serve the media. When you guys pat me in the back, tell me how great I am, I just simply do more of what you guys say that you want. That is in explicit terms exactly what I described a moment ago, a situation in which the media builds up Kiffin and then Kiffin serves the media by giving them more of what they want. And once again, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, you know, I want to say, well, I'm glad this is working out for all y'all. Media who gets the fun quote, Kiffin who gets to be lauded by the media. But how how about we win an Egg Bowl every now and then? How about we do that? How about we stop trying to fix the ills of the sport and actually win a few games on the field and do the job that you're paid to do, as opposed to being, you know, the the most well-paid, you know, media analyst in in the world. I'm telling you right now, if you're an Ole Miss fan, it's hard to make sense of all this at times. And frankly, there are moments in which you're left to wonder where is a guy like Lane Kiffin's head at for a guy who's supposed to be one of the, I mean, he's already treated as one of the more noteworthy coaches in the SEC, despite the fact that he's never won anything of note. Uh, and if I'm an Ole Miss fan. <laughs> At a certain point, you probably get a little tired of that. I would imagine you would anyway. Nonetheless, one more story to give you here. So I saw where Florida is going to wear some black uniforms this year. Now, I can't make fun of this as much as I would like to because they are doing this to honor uh, our armed forces here in America. And obviously, we. Enjoy all of that. I don't quite get the idea of black in the armed forces. It seems like that might be a different color that you might wear on that. But nonetheless, they are doing this to honor our armed forces. So from that standpoint, I guess you got to you know give them a little bit of credit for their patriotism. I guess. I think we have this to show you. Yeah. So you see the black helmet with the traditional Florida trim, and you see the black jerseys. But remember, this is the same team that's worn with the Swamp Thing jersey a few years ago that sort of looked like the creature from the Black Lagoon this is a team that it seems like they are what you assume they would be, which is totally embarrassed to have that shade of blue and that shade of orange as their school colors, because anytime that Florida gets a chance to depart from those colors, they seem to be more than happy to do so. Now, this is for a good cause, obviously showing support for our armed forces. We're always happy about that. But once again, Florida probably knows that when God was giving out school colors, it gave florida the worst with that orange and blue so anytime florida can kind of show off something other than orange and blue they seem more than happy of doing that including this upcoming season there as well uh and by the way it's typically about 90 degrees in florida almost all throughout the fall so i'm sure uh the heat index when they wear that black is going to be uh, probably pretty intense uh but nonetheless maybe this is the one thing that florida can do to make georgia a little bit jealous nothing on the field does that but georgia will never get to wear its black jerseys nor wear all alternative uniforms of any type florida seems more than happy to do that any week there is you know georgia has a brand it wants to protect florida at this point has very little brand at all so why not wear black or purple or orange or whatever else florida seems more than happy to do that we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean now i told you before we were done today i want to make a fun announcement so i've got this for you this is sort of a save the date and be aware of this that you got to have a chance to hang out in person with dog nation and see a live broadcast because our newest show at dog nation and obviously they'll be back here tonight although in a slightly different form because of the uh, corky kell dave hunter classic uh, which takes our typical host kaylee manzel away she'll be on assignment as we say in the industry. Uh but nonetheless, two weeks from now, Dog Nation is going to be live at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody for a special broadcast of Marlowe's Tavern uh Happy Hour at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. So we're gonna be giving you a lot more information about this, but we're gonna do our newest show, Dog Nation Happy Hour, presented by Marlowe's Tavern at Marlowe's Tavern uh coming up on Thursday, August 31st. It's gonna be a really fun way to kick off the season. You wanna hang out with some of the folks from Dog Nation? Uh we'll have be there. Kaylee Manzel will be uh there. We're gonna have just a really good time. We want to be there with you. Uh the Marlowe's in he has a wonderful patio. In fact, the, the image you see on the screen for those of you watching on video, that is that terrific patio. So we're gonna be on the patio there that evening, hanging out, having a good time. Uh, we'll be kind of doing it around the theme of happy hour and so there'll be plenty of beverages to enjoy Uh, obviously you can get some of those great uh, cocktails from our friends at marlowe's tavern and obviously the chef inspired food the special menu items they have going along with the happy hour theme here right now there as well so we'll be telling you more about this but once you go ahead and put it on your calendar come out and see us live thursday august 31st at the marlowe's in dunwoody for a special live broadcast of our newest show dog nation happy hour presented by marlowe's tavern takes place every thursday night and two weeks from now it'll take place live at the marlowe's in dunwoody so we hope to see you there and for our golden shoe today the honest truth is i forgot what the golden shoe is can i see what it is because i actually I forgot what it is i want to make sure i set this up uh, appropriately yeah there you go brian whitehead sent this in so a website known as saturday on south they have a podcast and espn analyst and former florida coach dan mullen was a guest in this podcast and uh our producer michael carvel had shared this with me too the other day that so mullen on the show said that he believes that marco wilson doesn't throw the shoe in 2020 which allowed lsu to be florida that mullen thinks he might still be employed at florida well that creates quite a dilemma in the eyes of georgia fans of well gosh maybe it might be fun if dan mullen was still in florida he was fun got to kind of beat up on and kick around here a little bit and you don't have that to do anymore uh so far billy napier doesn't have much of a personality at all so not quite as easy to take jabs at although no certainly better on the football field here thus far uh, but nonetheless, Brian Head, Whitehead reminding us why it is that the uh, golden shoe guy started in the first place because it was one of the things that put Dan Mullen on the unemployment line. That's a big W for dog fans. So Brian Whitehead will give you a golden shoe for that. By the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, Georgia back in, Jack, just 72 days from right now, beating up on Florida again. And that is our Gator Hater countdown because we love the cocktail party. We love beating up on Florida. We believe that a good Georgia fan is a Gator Hater, first and foremost, and we will see tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether & Thar.